Welcome at How to Buy Design, the monthly meetup organized by Blue City Lab, where we search for answers on how to buy design with our international community of pioneers. We dive into our oceans, explore the organisms in the soil, look at human and non-human organisms, from the Netherlands to Central Asia. Let's get started. Welcome at How to Buy Design. My name is Emma van der Leest and I'm a biodesigner working on the intersection of design, biology and technology. And as a founder of Blue City Lab, I'm very proud to host this uh, new uh, series of How to Buy Design together with the co-host and fantastic speakers, of course. Um, in these monthly meetups, I meet experts from all over the world to talk about a specific theme, to facilitate interaction between you guys, to the, uh, between pioneers, so pioneers in biodesign, who are already working and those who want to get started with biodesign and maybe biofabrication. And we hope to be a platform sh for sharing stories, experiences, share knowledge, know-how, insights, and hopefully stimulate new collaborations between all of you. And for those who never heard about Blue City Lab, Blue City Lab um, is a laboratory based in Rotterdam in the Netherlands and we believe that true circularity starts with regenerative design. So design that leads to a vibrant, biodiverse city in which ecological, social and economic values work together in a positive way. And in November 2020, last year, we opened yeah, the, revi yeah, the new lab. So actually we already started, but now we have a professional circular lab where we can work with fungi, bacteria and biochemicals. And besides that, we facilitate projects to revalue different types of waste streams. Um, and we are located in this old fantastic uh, swimming pool. So hopefully we see you around whenever it's possible. And today we kick off with the team wood as circular building material. Wood as a material for constructing buildings is really ancient and one of the major climate solutions possible. How can we grow wood to build our wooden skyscrapers that have grown in a nature-enhancing way without damaging communities or ecosystems? And how can wood construction contribute to combat climate change by, for example, capturing CO2 and to the quality of, for example, the Dutch landscape. And every meetup I have a co-host and tonight I'm very excited <laughs> because we have Menno Schildhuizen in the room. Uh, Menno is an evolutionary biologist and researcher at Naturalis Biodiversity Center in Leiden here in the Netherlands. And he's also a professor at the Leiden University, an independent science communicator and writer of one of my favorite books, uh, Darwin Comes to Town. Welcome, Menno. Thanks, thanks, Emma. Thanks very much for having me on the on the show tonight. Yeah, could you tell a bit more about yourself? I already gave a brief introduction, mm -hmm. um, very small, because you've been working on many things. Um, so maybe. Yeah. No, you summed it up quite nicely. Yes, I'm I'm an evolutionary biologist originally, and an ecologist. So I, I'm I'm a researcher, and I study uh, evolution of uh, various organisms, specifically insects and snails. Um, but the last, uh, I guess, last 10, 15 years, I've been especially interested in very rapid evolution. So how wild uh, animals and plants adapt uh, in, in a genetic way to all the changes that we are causing um, in, the, in their environment. Um, and specifically the, um, the urban environment. And I've, 
I've been writing popular books as a, as a science communicator. So I'm doing research and I'm, I'm teaching students, but I'm also trying to engage with the general public. So I'm writing uh, books and I'm giving lectures and I organize um, excursions, urban excursions, but also excursions in, in, in the jungle um, for non-biologists, for non-scientists. Oh, that sounds very exciting. I, I think I would love to participate in one of those tours. How do you, how, what is your idea about uh, building with wood as an evolutionary biologist? Well, um, as I said, I'm interested in, um, in figuring out how the animals and plants that live in our cities, how they respond to, to all the novelties, all the innovations that we throw at them. And then we, we now see that species can actually adapt very quickly to, to changes in the environment, in the urban environment. Um, and I'm, I'm not sure yet whether, um, from that perspective, building with wood is going to, to make a big impact if, um, if the buildings themselves have, still have the same, the same physical, um, physical features as a concrete building would. If, if the animals and plants that interact with those buildings do, do not notice the difference. I'm not, I'm not sufficiently familiar with wood building to really be able to figure out whether that would make a difference. But of course, there is an impact on the rest of the environment and on, on the, the way we manage forests and the, the way we, um, we mine limestone. So I've, I've worked in the tropics for a long time. I've worked in Borneo for, for seven years. And one of the things I worked on there specifically was the uh, environment, environmental impact of, um, of limestone extraction for cement and ultimately also for concrete. Um, so it's uh, I'm very interested to to figure out what the um, the, the change of um, or a, a change of building from um, a change in building with with concrete into a, a building with wood um, how that would impact the uh, the environmental um, um, results of extracting limestone for concrete. Uh, and replacing it by extracting wood for as a building material, which of course is also extracting uh, material from the environment. So it's, it's I'm very interested to f interested to find out how that balance will work out in the end. Yeah, really exciting. <clears throat> I also know that there are bacteria that can uh, produce limestone and also heal cracks in self-healing cement. Have mm -hmm. you heard about that? I think I have heard about that. Yeah, there are. Uh, well, bacteria can do anything you you as you know. <laughs> that, you, that you'd like. Um, I mean, they have much broader uh, metabolical uh, metabolic possibilities than than animals and plants do. Um, and indeed, um, there are there are various in, uh, bacteria that either produce limestone or interact with limestone in various interesting ways. And that's um, and so so that's why also the, the limestone that we extract our uh, our cement from. Uh, is in fact a, a very complex ecosystem with lots of species that are uh, depending on that limestone environment. It's not just a block of stone that we can that we can destroy at will. Yeah, Mo, uh, one of our speakers actually responded in the chat that Henk Jonkers from TU Delft is working uh, on a research and a company that is called Basilisk that is working on the self-healing concrete. So it's uh, mm, yeah. It's happening, yeah. And yeah. Menno, you also prepared something for us, right? To to give us an introduction and glimpse in this whole field. Yeah, I've um, so so you mentioned my my uh, well, one of my more recent books, Darwin Comes to Town, um, and in it, I well, it, it's um, this is it. 
it's it's mostly about about um, the way wild animals and plants interact with the built environment and interact in a in an evolutionary way. But in the last chapter, I give some 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 advice, some rules of thumbs thumb in which I think um, we could change or we could we could make use of that process of urban evolution in uh, designing our built environment. So I have an, uh, in that last chapter I give a number of rules, and the first rule is I'd, I'd like to um, to read out for you now. And the first rule, um, or the first type of advice you could say, uh, is let it grow. We humans are incorrigible gardeners. We want to plant, to weed, and to arrange. And green urban design is no different. All the greening projects that I mentioned at the start of this chapter, whether vertical, horizontal, slanted, or underground, are meticulously planned. Not just in looks and function, but also in terms of what shall grow there. The Fukuoka Prefectural Hall Roof Garden was seeded with 76 species of herbs, bushes, and trees. The low-line lab in New York used more than 100. And Milan's Bosco Verticale boasts 50 different carefully selected types of plants. In each of these projects, a team of horticulturalists and arborists would have concocted the ideal mixture of species to suit the specific environment. They would have combined properties such as heat, shade and drought tolerance, with aesthetic characteristics of the forms and colors of leaves, stems, branches, and flowers. While the handpicking of such elite troops is understandable, it totally ignores the motley crews of urban plants that these new green spaces are parachuted into. Everywhere in the city, in gutters, roadsides, and on non-designed rooftops, communities of plants are co-evolving with each other, with the microorganisms in the soil and the air, with the insects and other invertebrates that eat and pollinate them, and with the, the urban environment, the heat islands, the patchiness of the soil, the heavy metal pollution, and so on. These evolutionary processes are not helped by dropping a foreign body of pre-assembled plant species among them. Much better would it be to let the green spaces assemble naturally from species growing abundantly elsewhere in the city. This would entail not planting anything, perhaps not even adding soil, but simply leaving the beds empty and letting the urban system colonize it under its own steam. And that's basically my, my philosophy for, for building green facades and green roofs and green walls is to just make use of that abundance of plant species that, that are already present in the city and that are in the process of becoming perfect urban, urban flora. Uh, rather than uh, planting these these green walls with with species picked from a catalog of a garden center. Yeah, well, that's really interesting. I think um, because you also told me in the first meeting that we had that um, green walls not only not always work uh, or green facades. So um, yeah, it's better to let the um, the environment uh, do the selecting rather than that we select the species that should grow there. Yeah, well. I'm very curious and very exciting to talk further about this. But for now, I want to introduce our first guest. We have two fantastic speakers who will uh, elaborate more on this topic tonight. And um, our first guest is uh, Mo Smit. She's an architect and initiator of Bouwtuin. I actually asked her what that is in English. Um, 
She's still working on a name, but she said the Craft or Construction Garden, which is a cooperative action research and a new type of design and build guild focusing on the use of bio-based materials and craftsmanship from the region. And as a teacher and researcher, Mo is also affiliated with architectural engineering at the Faculty of Architecture here uh, at the Technical University in Delft. That's a mouthful. So welcome, Mo. I'm very happy uh, to have you here. So uh, please go ahead with your presentation. Thanks a lot, Emma. And also thanks a lot, uh, Menno, for the nice story. And also the link with the Indonesian context that I also uh, included in my uh, presentation. And also uh, uh, Mark uh, with the Saba project has this link. <laughs> it cannot be a coincidence. Um, I will share my screen. Uh, so thanks for the opportunity to share some uh, experiences of uh, Bautan, which is a relatively young uh, initiative. So we're happy that we can share uh, already uh, uh, our ideas. What is Bautan? Well, at the moment, um, Bautan has the status of an action research, which means that we go out to understand if it is possible to build with natural building materials from the region. Not only wood, but also uh, reeds, uh, earth, um, other fibers like hemp and flax, uh, or maybe also a cattail, uh, you name it, uh, that are available in, in different uh, Dutch landscape uh, typologies. We question what could we do with it within our current uh, built environment, but we also try to learn from the past, yeah, because traditionally wood, earth, and fibers were used all around the world to build uh, homes with. Uh, on this picture, you see um, from the left to the right, um, the action research team, Marlies Boteman, she's also a tutor at the uh, uh, Academy of Architecture and Theo Delft, uh, architecture tutor, and two young architects who graduated within the architectural engineering studio, uh, Remy Groenendijk and Celine Mujica, and currently with uh, funding from the Creative Industries Fund, we focus on a first case study uh, in Hilversum and the Gooi en Vechtstreek, uh, where I now live. Before I used to live in Rotterdam, but now this is my new uh, habitat. Um, yeah, what, we, what I work on uh, with students is actually the transition from the linear building uh, uh, culture to a circular building culture. Uh, we all know now that concrete and steel, yeah, they promised us a very... Uh, uh, yeah, very interesting new worlds, uh, utopian uh, worlds uh, with a lot of uh, mass-produced uh, uh, housing. Uh, so it was a, really like a utopian idea that we could have light, uh, air and space and, and big cities. Um, but uh, now we discover that these materials have a huge environmental impact. So uh, young architects, uh, uh, students, they're all busy with how can we use wood, how can we use bio-based materials to... Yeah, to further develop uh, this uh, uh, built environment, but at the same time also reuse technical materials that are already in the cycle and uh, um, yeah, harvested uh, in Indonesia or elsewhere uh, and have a huge environmental impact. Yeah, one of the biggest um, inspirations uh, uh, for me as a design tutor is uh, one of these uh, Indonesian villages. This is the Padui tribe in Banten, just two hours away from Jakarta. And you could say this is the perfect um, circular settlement. Yeah? So 
the community who lives there, uh, they have a very long-term uh, vision of how to maintain uh, yeah, their forests. Uh, actually, they see themselves or conceive themselves as part of the ecosystem, which is uh, uh, why they really understand how it functions. It's also a, quite a spiritual place where they, uh, when they cut a tree, um, the, the object, the tree, uh, shifts from the, cultural, from the natural world to the cultural world. So it's really a culture that is closely connected uh, with nature. Um, water system is circular. They know how to purify their own waste. Um, from an architectural point of view, they also uh, transfer the knowledge from generation to generation. And basically, this is modular building. Huh? So they have like very high quality wood for the main structure and they fill it in with all sorts of fibers. And there are different crafts within the village that help. So basically it's a, a culture of uh, cooperation and we, we don't know this anymore because there are no, um, yeah, you could say interests of companies or whatever. This is a community that really collaborates um, and uh, yeah, the nature is from, from them. And there are no other people that uh, uh, have a stake in that sense. And you see what it what it could lead to. So uh, here, this is I'm not sure how how often they do it. When we visited it, we we encountered this uh, uh, situation. So the whole community is involved in cutting the trees and uh, yeah, turning them into building uh, elements. And if you enter the village, you see a lot of prefabricated. Uh, building parts. So there are different crafts within the village that are pe pe where people are experting in. And they, yeah, you see the piles of these uh, uh, roof elements uh, of the alang, uh, alang uh, leaf. And they, yeah, they, they, they already prepare it for future use. So this is quite uh, inspirational. Uh, from an architectural point of view, it's also an aesthetic culture. Huh? So the, the technology and also the climate sensitivity that you see in these uh, examples, they, uh, yeah, they are really future-proof. So basic principles to connect and extend uh, the wood, uh, ropes to tie uh, uh, yeah, prefab uh, uh, elements. So everything is bio-based. And uh, especially this village is also uh, yeah, not really affected by the outside world because they protect themselves uh, from the outside uh, world. And even the textile is uh, locally made and all the colors that you see are natural dyes. So that's also where this uh, community is uh, famous for. Um, yeah, so I went there with students and um, yeah, this is one of the examples that came out of the studio, a student that was inspired by this uh, community and tried to see if, yeah, a more denser community could be developed at the border of Bandung in Indonesia. So this is, uh, yeah, you could say, uh, it's not high rise, but it's at least more dense. So that is also the, 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 the challenge, how to turn these kind of romantic ideas into use for the urban uh, settlements. Um, so this... Yeah, basically this led to the also the initiative of Bautam, where the main question is what if we could sustainably harvest our building materials from our own regional backyard again? And if their architectural application could lead to the creation of many meaningful jobs, a more characteristic built environment and a greater biodiversity at large. 
we picked uh, yeah the region of Hilversum, as I mentioned, and we uh, picked three yeah landscape typologies where the materials, uh, natural materials, come from. Um, in each landscape typology, we picked one material. So from the wetland area, we picked reeds. From the urban area, we picked earth. And from the forest area, of course, we picked boots. Although there are many other materials that you could use from these uh, typologies. What we try to do is to, to look at the supply chain of these materials and see which actors are involved. Uh, why is it that, um, yeah, reeds, if you go to uh, Laren, for example, in Gooi, you see many reed roofs, but all the reed is from China, yeah, more than 80%. Um, and the, the reed cutter that you see here, he is one of the few remaining reed cutters in the Netherlands because, yeah, Dutch reeds became very expensive. So um, the economic aspect of using bio-based materials is a really important one. Urban area, earth, there's many earth being excavated. That's one of the biggest uh, chunks uh, within the building industry, waste uh, flows. And actually, it's a very valuable material that you can do a lot with, also in hybrid uh, uh, solutions of combining fibers with earth, for example. And um, there's the forest area, and mainly uh, the main issue in Hilversum, eh, because this is actually the domain of the uh, Gooi's Natuurreservaat, is that, of course, now it's nature, um, con conceived as nature, uh, but there are many former production forests uh, within this domain that uh, are quite monocultural. And because at Gooi's Natuurreservaat wants to um, enlarge the biodiversity of these production forests, there's a continuous residual flow of wood coming out of nature conservation activities that can be used to be applied in the built environment. What is interesting about this context, I keep it short, uh, <laughs> is that this is formerly also known as a very strong region. This is the region of the Erfgoyers, and already from 1300, uh, the farmers cooperated to share common grounds because it was a poor sandy area and nothing could grow there. And they cut all the wood already in 1600. So before a lot of the Dutch landscape was uh, being covered with forests, but uh, yeah, people needed wood for heating the homes. So a lot of uh, 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 wood was cut and uh, the sheep, they, um, they even made it worse. So there were a lot of uh, almost desert-like situations uh, in this uh, uh, area. But yeah, to keep themselves alive, they cooperated and they called themselves the Erfgoers. And this continued until 1933. Um, when there was too much pressure from all the municipalities on this territory to expand their housing uh, areas. And that's where, when the Gooi's Natuurreservaat decided we should keep this uh, uh, part, uh, because after the 1600, they started to, to regrow the area again. So in 1933, it was already much greener than the, 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 the empty landscape. And from that on, uh, period on, they started to develop also uh, more nature in the area. And now everybody knows the Gooi is a very rich green area, but the, the history was quite turbulent uh, in that sense. Um, within this region, we would like to test our Bautine model, which is a circular model where we look at which natural materials are in the landscape that we could use within the architecture. 
And we follow an approach of um, yeah, collaborating within the supply chain with different yeah, artisans and craftsmen, but also try to understand from the people who are working on the land, like the farmers and the nature, nature conservationists, <laughs> to understand how can these materials be applied in an affordable and future-proof way. Yeah, a, a dream scenario is that in the end, Bautown uh, can become a cooperative uh, uh, enterprise where um, yeah, the natural materials could be um, yeah, uh, developed into building parts that can be used within the built environment. Um, it could be a social enterprise where a lot of new jobs could be created for, um, for, for young people across the supply chain. And in the end, uh, yeah, the regional landscape can function as a regenerative mine again for uh, natural building materials. Uh, and it could also function as a, a carbon uh, uh, as a carbon sink. We are also inspired by uh, the off-the-shelf approach of the Eames uh, the designers. So this is uh, the, the house in Los Angeles where they looked at, okay, what is currently available uh, industrially on the market? They were totally fascinated by new materials like steel and glass elements. And, and they looked at, okay, if we just use whatever is available, for example, in the industry, we assemble it we can design with it and we would actually like to do the same but then look at what is on the shelf of nature and how could we assemble it in different ways uh, in hybrid forms uh, also in a modular way uh, in, in such a way that it can be applied uh, within the built environment so i already mentioned we work across the supply chain and we visit, uh, we visit the, the people who harvest and grow uh, the materials. This is Wouter Slors in the Nademeer. And we uh, understood how labor-intensive it is to only uh, cut uh, one uh, uh, bundle of reeds already. <laughs> um, and we also looked at other uh, fibers that come from this landscape and see what you could do with this in, in, the, in the elements. This is a reed uh, thatcher used to uh, thatch on roofs, but here he also challenged, we challenged him to think about smart solutions uh, for, uh, for these facade elements where we didn't use any screws. Yeah? So we, that's also our challenge to do it as low tech as possible. So learn from the Baduya in a way and see what you can do in, in a smart way. Of course, if you do it by hand, it costs a lot of time. But uh, these examples could easily be scaled up if you use uh, modern uh, techniques, technology. Um, yeah, this is another example. This is a straw bill uh, prefab wall element where we used uh, ancient uh, pen and gat, mortoise and tenon uh, joints, um, with uh, American oak from the former production forest of the Goois Natuurreservaat and Douglas uh, fear for the elements. Um, wait a second, yeah. Yeah, this is one of the uh, uh, moments that Marlies was with uh, Oop Schilling from uh, the, future, uh, the fiction factory uh, with students uh, to cut one tree. They did a one tree uh, project in one of the oak 
American oak tree production parts of the Goois Natuurreservaten. And as I explained, this is one of the main issues uh, uh, for het Goois Natuurreservaat to renew these forests. So, uh, especially with the Douglas fir parts, uh, they're about to collapse if uh, no action is taken. Yeah, so there's a kind a kind of bug that creeps under the the what is it the bark of the tree, um, and if the if they don't do anything, if they don't thin the forest, it will affect the other trees. Uh, in the south of Germany, this is already a big issue. Yeah? Their main production forest also for our woods yeah? to supply uh, our homes with. And uh, it's a major uh, financial catastrophe, but also ecological catastrophe, uh, uh, what's happening there. With the American oak tree, it's different. Eh? So there's, uh, there's not enough uh, light to enter the, 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 the forest floor. So there's a very poor quality also. Uh, and that's also why they renew it with new trees, often uh, trees of more local origin. Uh, but the most important thing is to diversify. Yeah, that's what uh, Peter Kampen, uh, he's a forestry uh, expert, you see him on the right here, explained to us, actually you can't predict what we need in the future if you, if you would like to plan forests for uh, building construction. There are examples that they planned a lot of uh, 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 For example, Larix trees, I'm not sure what the... It's also a fair type. Um, and they planted uh, uh, them. And then when they grew grew big, they were too big for the cutting machines. Yeah? So there's a long-term period where a lot of things can, can happen. Uh, and then uh, maybe a specific tree type or wood type is not popular anymore. So what he explained, the best thing you can do is to diversify forests and to uh, to have yeah you you're more resilient yeah, to also um, fulfill the, the the needs of uh, the the building community and gnr doesn't have any plans to produce wood for uh, building construction as a main uh, uh, income but uh, even for commercial or forest he explained it is better if they are more diverse uh, uh, yeah as the example in germany shows where Yeah, a whole market can collapse if uh, diseases attack. I explained already, yeah, we look for low-tech uh, means, so we also made our own uh, dowels to connect uh, everything. And we tried to see if we could also use part of the wood that is normally disposed, eh, like the bark, or uh, there's just a small core within the wood tree that's often used and conceived as high-quality wood. Yeah, so what we did in the workshops, uh, uh, the, the facade element workshops, we, we used the wood from the GNR to, uh, yeah, to show what you could do with it uh, in a modular way. And uh, the other earth examples, I just give some sneak previews. We used earth and, uh, from the area and you see how many different colors can come out of it if you mix them. So this is the last slide. Thank you so much for your presentation. It's really, really nice to see what you already have done in such a short time. 
I'm really curious how how do you foresee the the future of of Bowtown? So is the idea that you can also provide these materials to architects that can therefore design modular buildings, for example? Well, yeah, as as I mentioned, the the Bowtown is currently a cooperative action research. So we already noticed that uh, more and more people would like to join. <laughs> Um, and we also have plans, of course, to uh, to continue it. And uh, an idea is it it could be turned into a designers and builders uh, cooperative, um, and also have a physical place. That's our dream, uh, of course. And it's a regional approach. Yeah? This is a first region, and we would first like to test it how it works in this region. And we are really happy with the cooperation with uh, het Gooi's Natuurreservaat because that's important. Um, and it, the collaboration is important because competition uh, is really not good for sustainable solutions. And that doesn't exist so, in uh, our circular world, right? We need to no, collaborate. No. We need to collaborate. And that's also what we learned from the Badui example, where it's totally absent and you see what it could uh, could lead to. But yeah. it, it, yeah, a different mindset is needed. So... Uh, and what also Peter Kampen, uh, the, the, the forestry leader of the Gooi's Natuurreservaat, said, actually, it is a common ground eh? because it is a, it's a foundation at Gooi's Natuurreservaat. And uh, the different municipalities, also the municipality of Amsterdam um, is one of the co-founders. So he calculated quickly that basically every citizen pays three to four euros tax. And then you also have something like het Gooi's Natuurreservaat, a nature reserve that you can visit, you can enjoy. And at the same time, it would be really great if it could also supply at least part of the building materials. So this could be a good example maybe also for other parts in the Netherlands or for provinces to uh, to think about. Yeah, so if there if if there's anybody listening or participating at this moment <laughs> who wants to, um, yeah help Bowtown or if you want to participate in a project, you can reach out uh, to her, I think. Right? Thanks. Yeah, I have the email address on the left bottom. So please send me an, an email. I will check it now because uh, I noticed that I have this email account, but I for sometimes forgot to check it, <laughs> but I will check it. Yeah, it's info <laughs> at bowtown.nl. Yeah. So thanks, yeah. Mo, for your presentation. And we'll, we will now move forward to our next speaker, um, which is Mark Compeer. Mark, welcome. He is actually co-developing the first 50 meters high wooden residential building in Rotterdam, realized with cross-laminated timber. Um, Sava uh, symbolizes a new generation of construction with a focus on circularity, inclusivity and biodiversity. So welcome, Mark. You can kick off. Okay, thank you, Emma. Uh Good evening, uh, everyone. I'm uh, very delighted to uh, give you an insight on how we implemented uh, circularity in our SAVA project. Uh, my name is Mark Compeer, and together with uh, Robert Winkel, also known from my architects and planners, we are the nice guys. We are nice developers, and um, uh, uh, we are nice guys because we, it's a bit of a joke, of course, but we do not focus on uh, profit, but we focus on shared values for the neighborhood and the city. Um, we are, Robert and I are the initi initiatives or, of SAVA and Ira Contour is our building partner. Um, well, what do we work on? Um, we currently working, are working day and night on SAVA. That is the case. 
Sava is a new way of uh, 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 thinking about living, building, and nature. Uh, it's an iconic de the design of stacked houses made of wood, which ensures, ensures uh, CO2 storage, and it's also accessible for different income groups. Sava is, building, uh, is a building with shared spaces where people can meet and care for each other and care for the birds and the bees. And um, uh, well, this is, uh, I have some, some slides uh, I want to show you and uh, share with you the, um, uh, the unique elements of, of Sava. This is the location. Uh, the location is, uh, from Sava is on the Lloyd Pier. And the location is uh, surrounded by uh, the uh, Shipping and Transport College, the Schiecentrale, the Lloyd's building, it's a monumental building, and the St. Jobsheim. Here we zoom into uh, Sama more in this uh, and existing and in the existing environment, and you can clearly see uh, here that uh, well uh, one of the key elements is the, are the green terraces of Sama yeah? um, and the, the communal deck here, and uh, well Mo also and also Meno uh, referred to Indonesia, and that's also the uh, well the fundamental the name of Sama yeah? on the Lloyd Pier of Rotterdam. The ships uh, departed here to the eastern uh, part of the world, to Indonesia. And, uh, well, that is the uh, basis on which we, we chose the name of Sama, because we refer to the terraces in Asia. And you can see the terraces start here with the staircase, and the terraces go up uh, from here all the way to the top. Where, uh, I'll show you a few images of the wooden model we made. Um, what you can clearly see here is the underpass, the hole in the building, uh, which starts from four and a half meter to 50 meters high. And it's an obligation stated in the zoning plan. It's not our own choice, but I think it makes the building very interesting and also very expensive, but that's another thing. Um, here you can see some from different perspectives. This is the west side with the terraces you just you show on the earlier pictures. This is the East side, the more formal side, it's on the Lloydstraat. And uh, here you see the, uh, uh, the deck, the communal deck with the parking garage underneath it. Um, well, here you see the, the green facade with all the terraces. Um, um, and uh, uh, I can talk to later something more about the terraces. This is, of course, the deck with the stairs. Which, uh, which links the, the communal deck. It's also uh, uh, accessible for people in, people in the neighborhood to the public space. The key elements of Sawa. Uh, first, of course, we build in wood, yeah? so we store CO2. Um, second thing is that um, we pr provide a number of common areas, such as the deck where people can meet, connect, and look after each other. Um, also, Sava contrib contributes to the improvement of the biodiversity in the neighborhood and the city. The plants of, on the terraces have been put together together with a, a team of biologists and ecologists. And these plants are especially chosen to attract animals uh, we desire. There is, uh, uh, I was triggered by the thing Mo said, um, we have the, on, uh, also a roof and there we use the soil that is now laying on the location. And we put the soil on top of the roof and we do not 
add anything. We leave the soil there with the seeds in it, and we just uh, uh, leave the soil and the plants grow there. Um, furthermore, it's in, in, uh, we want to make an inclusive building, and so not only for the people with a lot of money, but also we have 50 mid-rental apartments with rents between um, 700 and 1,000 euros a month. Well, why we why build in wood? Uh, because because we store CO2 instead of emitting CO2 like concrete. The concrete industry uh, emits 10% of the worldwide CO2, and in uh, building by building in wood, you you restore the CO2. So that's a big difference. It is sustainable. It's pleasant to live in. It's healthy to live in, and we also make the buildings with fewer installations. Uh, the construction of wood versus uh, concrete and steel. Well, like more than 90% of Sava is, uh, is wood. Uh, there are a few elements that are in concrete. So you can see here, it's the core of the, uh, the, the, uh, the lift core and uh, uh, the roof of the parking garage. And there are also some, some steel is needed for the connections and the stability of the building. Well, here we uh, show how much CO2 we store. We uh, almost store 3,000 tons of CO2, and that equates to, to more to 23.5 million of um, exhaust fumes of a, a mid-class car, or the electricity consumption of more than 3,000 households in a year. So that gives you an idea of what um, wood does in a building. Well, what makes Sawa unique? Um, that uh, besides the things that I just mentioned, like the biodiversity and uh, the apartments for the mid-incomes, uh, it is the main supporting construction. It, the whole construction is in wood. What you see here is a system of uh, columns and beams, and the beams continue uh, to the consoles on the outside, and on the consoles, the uh, balconies and the galleries are placed on. And you can see here that the floor are uh, prefabricated. These are all prefabricated elements, but also the floor. It's a CLT floor of cross-laminated timber. And, uh, well, it's clicked together like a, a, a Lego system. Uh, the walls are open here, so you can see uh, they are not low-bearing. So um, uh, that means that we can make flexible uh, spaces. Uh, here you see uh, the floor plan of an apartment. But if we, we can easily remove the, uh, the, the walls and uh, put apartments together, make them bigger, make them smaller. There are only uh, two things that are not flexible, that, that are the shafts and the meter cupboards. Well, here you recognize the main uh, supporting structure from the previous picture. And um, uh, now the, 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 in this uh, picture, the, the floor is made uh, transparent. Um, this, but but it's very special on, on this floor we uh, invented, is that the floor is completely detachable. So it consists of a la layer of CLT, cross-laminated timber. On this floor, uh, dry ballast is on top of the CLT, and in the the dry ballast, all the uh, cables pipes are placed in. So this makes, and on top of that, there's an isolation layer with floor heating and cooling. But what makes this floor uh, uh, unique is that all the pipes and cables are uh, detachable. So you can replace them after the end of the life cycle. 
Well, this image shows once again that the elements are circular. This is 100% circular and detachable, what you see here. Uh, you also see the room dividing walls. We can, uh, you can uh, remove them so you can make the spaces smaller or larger. Uh, what's also very special is the, the, uh, the square meters of uh, uh, outdoor areas. Uh, on average, each apartment has 50 square meters of, of outdoor space. And that is in addition to the communal deck. Well, I already indicated that we earlier that we have investigated with a team of experts which plants are most suitable on the terraces that match the demands of the birds and the insects. And here's an example of uh, how this will look like. Um, I will leave the Latin names for next time, but um, <laughs> this this is uh, uh, a uh, uh, yeah a real image of not just a render, but how it will end up. Uh, on the deck, there will be a green layout, layout with uh, a vegetable garden for the residents. And as I said earlier, do we want to make the deck accessible, uh, accessible for the whole neighborhood? Um, and in addition to the plants and the homes, the apartments for the people, we also provide homes for the birds. Uh, there are nesting boxes placed on different places, different uh, uh, heights, uh, different directions. Uh, for example, the, the, the sparrow, you can see the uh, yellow uh, dots, and but also for the uh, falcon, falcon on top of Sawa. Each uh, bird has his own desires of how uh, the nested box, uh, well, where, where they are must be placed and how high and in what direction. This is, um, well, the, my, my presentation of Sawa. And this is the team uh, we will work together with. Thank you very much, Mark, for your presentation. Um, You're welcome. Menno, do you want to kick off with the first question? Yeah, sure, Emma. Thanks. Um, yeah, thanks, uh, Mark. And also, this this actually also um, my question is also for for Mo in a way. Um, I, I I mean, I really love the the, the use of all these uh, bio based materials and and also reinventing te techniques that that we've lost over 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 time. Um, but one thing that I do notice, uh, also noticed in most talk, is that, of course, the um, the sustainability of using bio-based materials was originally applied to very small-scale environments where you have a small number of people living in a very large forest. Um, and once you try to apply that to much larger numbers of people, then um, I think you will very quickly run into an availability uh, problem. The the I mean, if you have I've just been doing some little calculations, um, I think if you have a, a forest that a production forest, uh, which is biologically not very interesting, will will produce a few tens of cubics of meters of wood per year per hectare, um, whereas a limestone quarry produces uh, quantities of concrete that are several orders of magnitude larger per hectare. So. Um, how are you going to solve the problem that you need much more land to support the supply of bio-based materials compared to the traditional methods of using steel and concrete? We think that, that it's a very important topic. Um, and for each uh, tree we use for Sawa, three trees are planted back. And so, And we're going to check that. And so that is what we are told by the uh, wood industry, but we are going to check that. And uh, the wood we use is uh, certificate wood. 
And um, it is not that the whole forest is being cut away uh, completely. It is uh, managed on a sustainable way so that the uh, ecosystem is still intact. Um, but still, um, I mean, still, I, I would say, even if you, so if you, uh, in, in, in Borneo, for example, it's a tropical environment where, where wood grows much faster. Um, the really sustainable forests where you have natural forests in which selective logging takes place, um, they have a very long uh, logging cycle. So I think they extract probably less than one cubic meter of wood from the forest uh, per year per hectare. Um, and that's, that is, if you have such a low impact, then you can really sustain the, the biodiversity in that forest. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering whether um, you will be able to uh, apply that sort of sustainability and still be able to produce enough building materials. And of course, one thing that, that is also interested in, th in this respect is what is the life cycle of these buildings? Are they, yeah. I mean, in, in, in the tropics, um, where these methods, uh, the methods that Mo described were invented, um, these houses don't last very long. They're eaten up by termites very quickly. So you need yeah. to rebuild them. Um, which is one of the reasons, of course, why people shift to 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 stone once they have the chance to do so. That was also um, a question from me, Menno. What okay, about the termites yeah. that uh, can eat wood? Yeah. yeah. So how how how? I mean, realistically, what is the life cycle yeah. of a wooden building compared to a concrete? Yeah. Building? Yeah, I can I can answer that. Uh, well, the life cycle is uh, is the same. Eh? We. Uh, we uh, make a difference the, 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 uh, in, in four types. Uh, we have the main construction. Uh, the main constructions uh, last for one from 100 to 200 years. Uh, it's just like a concrete building. There's no water there. It just stays there for like 100, 200 years, maybe even longer. Uh, then we have the facade, uh, the roof and the skin. Uh, That's the second uh, topic. And that lasts for 50 to 100 years. And then we have the insulation. It's 25, 30 years, and the the the, uh, the kitchen and the bathroom is seven to ten years. And so we divide those different lifespans. And um, uh, well, in in 50 to 100 years, you uh, when you plant three three plants back in the forest, uh, yeah, well, you 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 grow a new sava. And so uh, that, that that that's no no problem with the lifespans of. Uh, of the wood we use, and the wood we use is it's non it's uh, uh, it's from Scandinavia or from Germany. That is, uh, it's European wood, mm -hmm. yeah. not from the tropics. So at the end of the life cycle of sawa, you've complete uh, you have the, they're grown more sawas back. Right, that's very important. Yeah, two aspects. I think it's it's also a shift. Eh? So it's not that we need to turn. In, in one go from from no. using uh, only uh, only wood and it's also i really believe in the hybrid uh, solution and if you look if you compare clt also with uh timber frame uh there's a lot of more low uh low quality uh, bio-based material that you can use to insulate huh? of course um and and so that way so that's already a strategy huh, to see what can you, what do you need to do massive and and what uh, um, what can you do solid? But of course, it's a good idea to make it solid because you store a lot of carbon. But you need the trees, and if they're not there, 
I think you, you need the in-between uh, solution. Um, and also you can still use technical materials that are already there. Yeah? So it's also the hybrid, I think, uh, is a good uh, transition strategy. And the other thing is that with design, you can really protect biomaterials from being uh, attacked by the weather or yeah. uh, animals. So it's, I think, the, the role of the designer in, in protecting materials that cannot be, uh, 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 what is it, uh, exposed to the weather mm -hmm. yeah. is another simple technique that you also see, for example, in this Badui example, they have overhanging roofs uh, uh, that, that covers already part of the facade, otherwise it will be really wet. So yeah, if we as designers really want to have uh, no overhangs because everything should be straight, mm -hmm. yeah, then it's more difficult. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, they're the, the oldest uh, buildings from Root are already from uh, 500 or 700 uh, yeah. after Christ. And still exists, especially if, if, if the wood is only used in the interior. So, mm -hmm. And there are treatment uh, methods to also preserve wood. Yeah? So uh, like Akoya uh, technology and all sorts of other, uh, uh, what is it, treatment, uh, uh, line oil, linseed oil, mm -hmm. for example, is a very natural yeah. way. So different strategies, but uh, I think, yeah, we as humans also think that we, need to have one solution but i i don't believe in that yeah. i think it's uh, smarter to be resilient and and uh, uh, have several options <laughs> well thanks mo um we have a question uh, from the audience audience actually for uh for mark how thick is the layer of the soil to support plant growth or even maybe trees if you take a look at the Bosco Verticale in, uh, also in Eindhoven and Milan? Uh, and how well does that match the load capacity of the cross-laminated timber panels? Uh, yeah, the, the plants uh, that, uh, that are placed on the terraces, uh, they, they are in, uh, 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 how do you call it, uh, uh, elements, uh, build elements, uh, and the elements are like about uh, one meter twenty high and forty to fifty centimeters wide. And in those uh, build elements, where the trees are in, where the plants are in, there are, we use substrate, substrate, and we also use soil. And the uh, terraces are, uh, well, of course, calculated to. Uh, to 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 uh, to carry that 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 weight, and so that it's completely safe. Yeah. You are also, uh, or you told us that you're also collaborating with biologists and ecologists, uh, and that you really claim that you bring back biodiversity in the city. How do you measure those things? Uh, well, that's very interesting. But we have to uh, we 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 are going to monitor uh, that. We're going to uh, evaluate. We uh, we are uh, advised by Niels de Zwarte. Uh, he's from uh, Bureau Stadsnatuur, the Bureau of City Nature, and Piet Vollard. He is the writer of uh, Making City Nature, Stadsnatuur Maken in Dutch. And uh, now, if you see now, the the Lloyd Pier is completely con concrete. It's it's uh, there's no green, no green on the buildings. So by adding a green building with the terraces and the trees, we are, uh, well, contribute, so we <laughs> contribute on the, the, the biodiversity. And it's also just not only for the neighborhood. We also talk to the municipality about this thing. And it's like a biodiversity hub. And they want to connect the um, 
park by the Euromast with uh, uh, the Meravia havengebied. So it, it's an ecological hub uh, where Sama is taking part of. Yeah, but we have to. But but it's very interesting to monitor uh, uh, how it uh, how it works or not work. We have yeah. to learn from it. Yeah. Actually, Peter, uh, that is also one of our uh, attendees here, is saying, "Why don't we plant the wooden structures of our buildings? Then you can be sure you don't over extract the environment searching for building materials. Really plant the structure instead of using a um, a foundation." Yeah. Well, we, we need uh, I, we cannot uh, plant the trees and use the planted trees as a construction because it's not strong enough. Yeah? We uh, we use CLT that's cross laminated timber that's different layers of wood like you all have in the multiplex, but then uh, then big then uh, and that way it is it is it's a, a strong like concrete and then you can use it as a building material. If you don't. Um, uh, mix the layers. If you don't lay, uh, don't uh, don't uh, make different layers on top of each other, you do not get the strength you need to make the span you need for a building. Well, that's a good uh, answer. I have one question, and now I'm very curious what Menno thinks about uh, the question that just came in in the chat. Um, to glue this uh, cross-laminated timber, I assume you're using a formaldehyde type of glue, or are you using yeah. a yeah. So, what is what is the impact of that? Are there any glues available that could replace these kind of yeah, toxic glues? Yeah, they they are available. It's it's uh, uh, but but uh, to 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 give to bring it in perspective, like that there's one uh, percentage glue uh, that we use on uh, a element of CLT, and so it's a very little percentage, and there are bio-based glues. But the problem is that they're also uh, 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 like fire uh, uh, issues. Yeah? So we, we, we have to pick a glue that is also uh, 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 protecting the wood from fire. And the biodiversity glues, the circular glues, are not tested uh, to this uh, level at the moment. What we love to... Uh, make use of more bio-based glues, but it's not available on the scale we built, like a 50-meter-high building. Yeah. Okay, so if there's anybody not yet, listening... Not yet. not yet. Yeah, so if there's not anybody yet, in the chat yet, yet, <laughs> yet, yet. <laughs> who have good ideas, just uh, yeah. contact Mark. Yeah, Half from out, think <laughs> Half from out, yeah. Oatmeal. We can try. We <laughs> <laughs> can try. Um, Menno, do you have a, a question is popping up in your mind one thing that i'm um i'm always a bit worried about is that um we when when we talk about um nature providing us with things we forget that those things are already they're not waste they're they're being used by by organisms so the the reed that we cut to thatch houses with um, if we wouldn't cut them, or probably even though we're, we're cutting them, they're also at the same time being used as uh, hibernating sites for insects. Um, snails feed on them. It's it's these things are not inert. Every every bit of organic material in in an ecosystem is part is being used by that ecosystem. So as soon as we start extracting material, we are damaging the biodiversity. That's um, that's something that is unavoidable. Um, and so, and, and of course, if we do that with low impact, then um, 
you know, most of the species can be sustained. But once you start extracting more and more, um, and even if that is that stuff that we think is waste, is 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 awful, is dead material, it's it's wood and bark and wood chips and and reed and dry grass. All those bits are habitats for smaller organisms that we don't see, but they are there. So um, again, it boils down to a matter of sustainability. How much can you extract um, without causing great damage to the biodiversity? I saw there was a, a question in the chat about um, what if we convert all the pastures that are now used to to uh, to to breed cows for 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 meat and for milk into production forests. Um, I think if you would do that uh, and you would make those production forests so productive that they could supply enough wood for the Dutch building industry, then they would become biologically as poor as those as those green pastures are now. So if you want to improve biodiversity and at the same time use bio-based materials, you need to find a balance between extraction of of stuff and and keeping it there for the biodiversity and um there's already criticism of of uh, nature conservation areas that they're letting that balance go towards extracting stuff using excuses as you know renewal of of the forest forests are perfectly fine at at renewing themselves you don't need to cut down trees and plant trees for a forest to be renewed the best thing for a forest is to to leave it as it is. It doesn't need to be maintained. Um, so, well, basically, I'll, I'll stop there. But, I mean, that's that's my, my major concern about how you can find that balance. Yeah. Now, I also learned that from uh, from Peter Kampen, uh, because, yeah, we saw a lot of... Uh, once I was walking through a forest and I saw very a lot of pine needles, and uh, I thought, what it would be great to do something with it and then i looked on the internet i saw many designers already thinking of what you could do with it and then i asked him and he said well no the pine needles should be kept uh, uh should be kept there eh? because it has a function and uh yeah um so if we take all these things out it's uh, uh yeah it's it's affecting uh, the ecosystem and i think the over exploitation uh it's also yeah, the term ecosystem services uh, uh, is also a thing uh, that is interesting, but then it's also about, okay, when do you over-exploit an ecosystem? And um, yeah, but in the Indonesian context, we also use this term. And then there was somebody who was criticizing us that we use the word ecosystem service because it was also a very capitalistic way of looking at nature. <laughs> It was, uh, he says, yeah, you cannot monetize nature. And uh, that's, that's what we, uh, uh, yeah, that we tend to do. And uh, uh, that, so it needs a totally new uh, mindset in a way. But uh, yeah, it's interesting. That's why I think the biologists and the ecologists should become more important uh, than the economists. Do you want to react on that, Mark? Yeah, I completely agree. Um we we uh, of course we 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 use certificate wood eh? and the certificates there are uh, 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 not not every wood production line gets those certificates that we work with it's FSA and PFEC and um, it guarantees that the forests are um, uh, uh, kept as an ecosystem and that that it is. Uh, uh, they're very um, uh, careful with taking the wood out of the, the, the forest. 
and uh, they, they uh, leave the system as a whole. But uh, again, I have the same question. I have the same concern. So we're going to check it. We're going to we we want to exactly want to know where our wood is coming from, and we're going to visit it. We're going to visit that forest, and we're going to check how it's been done. And uh, Menno and Mo, uh, I invite you and Emma and well the, the whole group <laughs> to join us and to check it. We have to check it. We have to make sure that we do the right things. That it 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 uh, it um, it's it's being done well yeah. Yeah. with oh, care. Okay. That's absolutely true. And uh, but of course, the the thing is that those uh, sustainably managed forests are also forests that produce relatively little wood. Uh, I mean, that's it's that's the way it works. If you extract a lot of wood, it's not sustainable. But the productivity of the plantation or of the forest is less. So um, I mean, it's but it, so it also means you can build fewer buildings um, if you want. Your buildings to be sustainable. So again, the question is: is it, is it going to be? Is it, go, is it going to remain a luxury, or is it possible to to convert all our building projects into bio-based materials? Or is that is simply the productivity of ecosystems without over-harvesting them um, enough to to do that? So, and that needs to be calculated. It's um, if you really want this to be something that can be scaled up, then you need to make that calculation. Yeah, Good sure. point. Yeah, and I think once the system is in place, uh, when, when, once it is this circular system, you can rely on it. But I think yeah, trees need a lot of time to grow. So now we're still in the stage of yeah, the, 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 yeah, investing in a way in, in creating this uh, self-sufficient system. Mm -hmm. But once you have it, uh, uh, yeah, you can rely on it. Uh, so. Yeah. Uh, yeah, especially if your lifespan of the lifespan of the buildings is long. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But what's also interesting, it's not related to biodiversity, but more to CO2, is that young trees attract more CO2 from the from the air than older trees. So if you uh, talking about CO2, so CO2 reduction, the planting of young trees is very good in that perspective. But of course, you have to keep the biodiversity in mind. So that that it's. Uh, yeah, that's of course it's, it's it's confusing when we're talking about sustainable. Um, there are two two, you know, thinking can go in two directions in sustainability in terms of biodiversity and sustainability in terms of climate, and yeah. those things are rarely overlapping. I mean, you can do lots of things that are good for for the climate but very bad for biodiversity and vice versa. So um, it is it can be confusing when we talk about sustainability and not specify exactly what we mean by that. Yeah, but I think it's also a good point that you that the first question is what do we really need the things that we build? <laughs> yeah, so there's the the the, the hierarchy of, of uh Rs, yeah, refuse is the first one, uh reuse, uh, uh recycle and uh remanufacture all these re's. That's uh, now there's a, a trend uh, question that we need one million homes. What kind of homes are they? Can they also be refurbished uh, offices or uh so I think, in general, it is good to to look critically at our needs and uh, uh, yeah, what can you do with this, what is already there. I think it's also I just want to tap into that because I'm very curious, Mark uh, and also Mo, if you really pave a way for more companies to invest uh, in alternative uh, construction. So with wood or with flax or reed and and materials like this. Is there a um, really a demand already for it? Are there more companies and architectural companies, construction companies, 
looking in in this type of building and also designing because I think you also need to design a wooden building building differently than a concrete building. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that there's there's a growing like with food. Eh? So the sustainable foods was a niche product, and now because the the, the government will soon also uh, make this a requirement eh? to uh, to make it more sustainably, hopefully. But I expect it will happen. Maybe it takes a bit, but then we need to do it, and then the market will create itself. Um, and what I also mentioned is that, yeah, we, I believe in a cooperative model. You need, because for, from whom is the material that is growing in nature? So it is really philosophical and interesting question. And it's the same with the oil. Why is it owned by a company, who uh, uh, sold by a company, where while this duck out of a country far away? And, and why can you earn so much money by selling that material? <laughs> I mean that that's that's a kind of hypocrite thing, and I think we should discuss that aspect and then add value through design and knowledge and skills, not because you simply own the material and I think that's that's a, a crucial discussion to be um, yeah to have yeah well, can you also respond on that mark yeah yeah we uh with with sava we have uh, we have a lot, very large fan base. We uh, have uh, everyone once now. Now and then we have uh, Mark Sava May Avonde uh, evenings that we, when uh, people want to live there, they can participate in the, the design of the building, um, and the demand is there. Uh, let's make that clear. The people uh, can buy CO2 to natural foods in the supermarkets, but they cannot buy a CO2 neutral house. That's very weird. Huh? Because the impact is much more bigger, but the problem is that the industry is very traditional. We can we can, uh, we can say that with uh, our uh, experience, uh, it's uh, 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 big firms. Uh, the they're the the leading firms uh, of the uh, uh, all the developments, but they're very traditional, and they have been building for in in concrete for decades. So it's very difficult for those large tankers. To move and to make uh, innovations and go to be, and, and build in wood, and then you need, I think, small companies uh, like uh, well, like Mo or maybe like we, uh, Robert and I, uh, nice developer, just a startup. You need the startups, I think, to make that change, and then the bigger companies will follow. But uh, yeah. it's a startup market. Yeah. Yeah, I was also really shocked that the biggest uh, contractors, yes, if you see what they have produced in terms of wood construction projects or bio-based construction projects it's really it's really disappointing yeah? whereas yeah. a community in Nijmegen a uh, very ecological community <laughs> progressive community um, yeah they 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 managed to to be, to build the highest straw bill building of uh, I'm not sure how many floors just by putting a lot of time and, and dedication and effort in it and finding like a middle of the road contractor to work with them, and the, the and the, the the contractor was a bit skeptical in the beginning, but in the end, uh, after it was realized, he was really happy that he learned how to do it. And uh, I think that's the way to go to convince also contractors that it is possible and that it is more fun. Yeah, so we also are in contact with the uh, what is it, the Fox School, uh, uh, vocational school. school, yeah, vocational school. 
and the young uh, uh, students, they still learn the old way of uh, linear uh, construction methods. And they talk about we tack things together with the tacker and we smear all we kit uh, we use kits to uh, to fill the gaps and uh, and that's a totally different uh, approach than you might need uh, if you want to do it in a circular demountable way. So how do we bridge this gap? I think that's the biggest challenge yeah, from the designers uh, to the to the builders or the other way around. I think that's uh, that's needed. And and I think it's the the fun part that it is more fun and that it is really a skill to build. I think that that puts also gives also more proud to the people who are involved. Yeah, so when I talk to builders here in in my neighborhood, and when I walk around with my son, then I hear it quite often. They say, "Well, I think it's better if he learns a good skill because then he doesn't need to do this job." <laughs> I think it's quite sad. Yeah. I think we need to shift anyway, um, and also what you just mentioned, education is also um, a thing that we well we need to educate people and our students and our future generation to learn how to build again with wood. And I think to see the the, the yeah to learn and to see the possibilities in cities like Rotterdam or like New York or anywhere else um, in the world. Uh, so yeah, I think there's I've many questions still, um, but I also want to round off a bit our uh, our session here. Um, Menno, how do you feel about building with wood? Well, uh, yeah, like I mean, maybe I've given the impression that I'm skeptical. I'm only skeptical <laughs> skeptic about the um, uh, about the the scale. Yeah, I, I think it's uh, as as a concept, the the circularity of it, the reinventing the old skills, the the, the reducing uh, and the diversification. I think those are all wonderful concepts that we should try to we should try to scale them up. Um, uh, but I think it's it requires some really hard uh, number crunching of of global ecologists to make to 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 figure out what is what is possible and what is realistic. Yeah, because I also heard that well, people are still criticizing uh, the amount of CO2 that is, for example, stored in a wooden building. And that it really depends how high you build this wooden building, um, that, it, yeah, that it becomes interesting, basically, to build with wood, if you compare it to concrete, for example. So yeah, I have, I have many questions, but I'm still very positive and curious, because this Saba building will be around the corner of my house so I will definitely have a look when it's <laughs> when it starts to build and I'm also very curious to the builders itself what just you know Mo also mentioned about learning a craft I think we have to um, yeah really hopefully inspire a lot of uh, construction companies actually I saw one of the persons that is attending working at a multinational building company that was also interesting in you know building with wood so I really hope that we start a new generation and a new flow of contractors and architects and and builders and initiatives like Bautzen, um yeah to start the the new uh, <laughs> building generation there are already quite some some like uh, contractors also with high technology yeah, like cnc technologies that that can speed up i mean i think technology is not the issue i think the 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 technology is there to make smart 
prefabricated elements that can be easily assembled. So it's a matter of, of uh, yeah, have, finding enough resources. I think that's the, the biggest challenge. I think that, yeah, the technology is there um, from low to high tech. So, um, yeah. We just need to start then. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Mark is starting already. It's busy. Yeah, we we have uh, we have produced also a system, and as I saw with the with the columns and the beams, it is uh, it, it take a lot of effort to uh, uh, to get the system and to put the system together with the, with the circular floor. But now we have the system; it is tested with. Uh, we have a Dutch, of, uh, a German switcher a switcher uh, company, who uh, is uh, our engineering company. Uh, we have eight. ATH Zurich is uh, looking uh, with us. Arab is looking with us. So we have uh, we have uh, made a system that is very good. To, uh, 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 we are able to copy it. Like we can go to 100 meters high from uh, units from, from 25 square meters to uh, uh, endless and uh, 100 meters high with this system. And it's 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 um, we can build uh, faster. And we can uh, uh, build uh, 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 better uh, uh, for the for the environment. And how does it arrive? Does it come by boat or by train? It comes uh, with. Uh, we're, we're checking out how how we can do that, but we're planning to do it by boat. That that is because well, Sawa is uh, the, the location is next to uh, uh, to the water, so that uh, that would be the best. Uh, but on trucks, yeah, on trucks. And uh, maybe there, 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 we are looking for a uh, factory which the elements can be assembled, so that the elements come uh, already uh, clicked together on site. Um, so, well, we, it's a very clean method of, of building, also. Yeah, yeah. Well, that on was, site is really yeah. Yeah, I, I know Emma is trying to round up, and uh, <laughs> yeah, sorry, I, I know we sorry. can, we can, we can. Talk for hours, especially me, because it's all new to me and it's uh, it's really exciting. But um, I think I'd uh, I'd like to hand the floor over back to uh, back to Emma to round up now. Yeah, yeah, I'm very uh, I'm very excited. I'm uh, especially about uh, that it's really happening. You know, we have initiatives, we have the people. It's just a matter of you know getting started and also to come up with new circular systems. I think not only to to build with with these sustainable materials but also to come up with sustainable financial and economic uh, systems so I'm very excited and um, Menno I'm very happy to have you here and um, yeah I'm, I'm just just to want to ask you for a last word um, kind of concluding um, yeah word of maybe advice as an evolutionary biologist well one thing that I um, that I know is that that it's important for people who live in the city to be aware of the fact that they're part of an ecosystem. I mean, it's very hard to do when you're living in a city. You think that that you're very far removed from nature, but actually the city is an ecosystem. Um, and by, you know, by uh, so it's an ecosystem because there is a food web of, of urban animals and plants that we are interacting with and we are providing food and other resources to them very directly. Um, but of course, once you start living in a building that is built from biomaterials and you start to do urban farming by uh, by growing your own food in and on that building and being then you really become part of that urban ecosystem and that's that is important not just because it's 
because it sort of makes the picture round, but it also helps you realize that you're surrounded by nature and it, it improves your, your, your mental and physical health to be aware of, of nature around it and being feeling part of that system is the best way to do that. Yeah. Well, um, thank you, Menno, and thank you, listeners, uh, uh, for well to listen and to participate in the first How to Buy Design evening. On the website, you can see all the episodes that will follow. Thanks for listening. Would you like to attend one of our online meetups? Go to bluecity.nl slash howtobuydesign. If you're looking for more bio tips and tricks, join a community on biofabforum.org. How to Buy Design was realized with funding from Creative Industries Fund NL and edited by Puree Productions. Special thanks to our network partners, Rotterdam University of Applied Science, Willem de Kooning Academy, and to our international network partners, Glimpse.bio from Belgium and the US-based Biodesign Challenge Team. Hope to meet you in our next episode.